Hi all, welcome to the Hot Literati podcast. The Hot Literati is my collective of cool, hot, well-read people. And my name is Haley, and I'm so happy that you're here. First off, happy October. I love, love, love October. I'm definitely biased because I am a Libra. My birthday is two days from when I'm recording this. It's October 10th, I'm turning 22. Big whoop. So I'm really thrilled to be deep into fall and heading towards the end of the year. Turning 22 has me reflecting a lot on just the past few years of my life and I guess my brief foray into adulthood. I guess I'm... Oh wow, I... Not brief, I guess I'm like five years into adulthood, which is terrifying to say out loud. So it has me reflecting on, I guess, like my early years of adulthood and, um... I've always had this fear of just like time passing. Like when I turned 10, I had the best birthday party ever. It was the day before my birthday and my parents rented like a mini limo and took me and my best friends to Red Robin. And then I had like a sleepover. The next day on my real birthday, I started crying, crying and my parents couldn't figure out why. And I actually remember this. I told them I'm 10, which means I'm halfway to 20 and by the time I'm 20, I'll be moved out and all alone. So I've always had this fear of growing up because I think I associated it with like a loss of companionship and loneliness and then going into the world alone. And also just like, I've always been aware that time is limited and I was really afraid of losing that time, <laughs> which everyone does, you know, that's like, I guess that's why most people's ultimate fear is death. Um, getting heavy in the first few minutes, I know. But yeah, so it's as exciting as it is to be turning 22. Um, I'm living in a new country, I'm living in Germany, I'm far from my family, and I, I guess I always have, um, which I mean everyone has, these intimations of mortality, like these yearnings for childhood again and just like the reclamation of innocence but sheesh yeah today i'm going to be talking about a film um i've talked about it a little bit on my blog and on my social media accounts i'll be talking about the film cleo from five to seven or in french i believe the title is cleo de saint Cassette. it's a french new wave film from 1962 by agnes Varda. it's about a popular female french singer who is basically certain that she has cancer and as the film opens she's already taken a test and she's awaiting the results and she's convinced that she has it but everyone around her is telling her like oh don't be ridiculous like you're not sick there's no way that you're actually sick it's all in your head you're too beautiful to be sick and I really loved this film because it's visually just beautiful the entire thing is done in black and white and um, the hair and the makeup are very 60s. I love 60s hair and makeup. The music is really beautiful too. And I resonated with it, with this whole idea of um, something that I've been calling like dehumanization through idolatry. And I guess what I'm saying is that because she's made out to be larger than life, because she's this celebrity, 
um, the people around her won't allow her to be human. They won't allow her to be sick. They don't want her to be sick, particularly the men in her life. The film, I think, almost takes on this three-act structure. She begins out and about, but then she goes home. When she's home, she's visited by a male suitor, and she has kind of like her manager or handler that's with her almost the entire time. But when she's home with this handler, her male suitor comes and visits her really briefly, and he tells her, oh, there's always something the matter with you. And they have this very, like, playful romantic banter but he won't acknowledge that she's sick and he just leaves he pops in he sees her on her throne her like decadent bed and he leaves and then she's visited by two other men one is a writer of her lyrics and the other is a pianist who writes her music and this is when one of the most beautiful 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 um, songs happens in the film but it's a song that they've written for her about loneliness and despair and agony and one of them literally says to her before gorgeous it's a mistake to be sick and they even play this joke on her about like having a giant syringe and giving her a shot so again they refuse to acknowledge the validity and her claims about her own sickness and yet they write this art for her to perform that talks about despair and death and loneliness so she's like used to emanate these themes and yet they won't allow her herself to be the thing that is feeling those themes and after that she's kind of had enough she puts on a black dress she storms out of her apartment she goes out by herself she visits one of her girlfriends who's posing nude for an art class and then she kind of gets out of the cab that they share and embarks on her own and this is when she comes across a soldier who has no idea who she is and they have a playful not even playful they have like a very genuine back and forth about love about the things that are important to them about their biggest fears because he's about to return to war and she's about to get the test results they decide to accompany one another to those moments he goes with her to the doctor's office and she agrees to go back to i believe the dock where he's going to have to get on to return to war with him and it becomes ironic because the person who has no idea who she is in terms of her celebrity status is the person that accepts that she's sick and that she's feeling these negative emotions and this fear and in his acceptance of that, she finds peace and she finds solace because she's finally humanized. So I want to talk a little bit about why this means so much to me. I've alluded to my past in pageantry in a couple of episodes, but um, just for context, I did pageants from 9 to 17 and when I was 17, I won the Miss Teen USA competition in 2018. And I am still like processing everything that that experience means to me because i think there's so much nuance in it like there, like anything there are peaks and valleys and i've written a pilot kind of about my experience and i'm working on really polishing my series bible and um i've also started writing uh kind of like fictional prose about it just to see like what it takes shape as and if it's something that i'm proud of that being said i'm still processing it but um i think i related to this film so much because when that larger crown was put on my head, not the state crown, but the national crown, I feel like I became something other than myself in a way. And, you know, I've always been Haley, but all of a sudden I was Miss Teen USA as well. And I think that was a really big year for me because I won that competition. 
I think like overnight I went from maybe 4,000 to like 12,000 followers on Instagram. I've talked about social media as the construction of like a separate self. My separate self, you know, had this large following out of nowhere when I was still a kid. And then I was in New York by myself. I was like really traveling alone for the first time in my life. And I began my freshman year at Princeton. And I had something really unfortunate happen that, you know, I still have a difficult time talking about right before um, the school year started. So that being said, I was going through a lot of emotions and a lot of change at once and by the time I got on campus I think I was more so recognized as like Miss Teen USA than myself like I'll never forget when I was having dinner with this girl and she was like oh my gosh you're actually a nerd in, in a very endearing way but I was like yes because I feel like the name that was not my own like Miss Teen USA pushed all of these expectations and these like notions about myself into the world before I could like inhabit that world and I always faced this insecurity of not living up to the name and you know like like being undeserving of it even though I had already won and it sounds like the silliest thing ever but I guarantee any woman who's had that experience can probably relate to that in some way and I'd also just gone on the pill initially for my skin because I had really really horrible problems with my skin uh, while I was preparing from Steen USA I just finished a book about the pill and I now know that it's linked to a traumatic rise in depression and anxiety which looking back I feel like I was genuinely having like those types of um, symptoms and I remember like telling the people in my life like I had to make all new friends and I called my family all the time because I was really homesick but I didn't want them to worry too much and I remember telling the people in my life like I am not doing well like I don't feel well not physically but I just I think like I'm not okay and the response that I got a lot of the time I feel like was oh like you're so strong like oh you're doing so much like how do you balance it oh like you're doing such a great job and i feel like i feel like i was cleo because all i wanted was someone to say like oh really like tell me about it i'm sorry Haley. like that's difficult to go through and let's figure out what you need yeah, all I, all I wanted was for someone to humanize me and to understand that I was hurting, to acknowledge that I was hurting, and to tell me that, like, I was valid in that. And I think this points to, like, a deeper current in pageantry that I feel like I've just begun to understand five, five years after... Um, I've been involved in the industry. Last, I think that a lot of people that compete in pageants tend to be perfectionists. I think that the nature of the industry is very much about like self-improvement and becoming the best version of yourself that you can be. And typically when there's like a sob story or something that people might perceive as negative about a person, it's like wrapped up into a neat narrative that ends with a resolution and like a and that's how i got over it and i think that that's really feeding into i think that that narrative fed into my own mental health issues during and like directly after my year because i felt like i felt like 
if I was really struggling, then I wasn't living up to the title. Like if I had these issues, I wasn't living up to the title. And I think that's why I never spoke publicly about anything that I was dealing with. I actually remember starting a live once when I was really having a hard time and like trying to talk about it, but I just didn't have the vocabulary for it back then. But I think the industry just needs to like let go of perfectionism and this idea that like these women are perfect, these women are idols, these women are like aspirational because I think that idolatry is the very thing that is causing like so much stress and anxiety and just negative emotions. And just to be clear, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing the industry. I never want to sound like that because I thoroughly enjoyed my time in it and I met so many wonderful people in it. One thing that Professor Hilary Levy Friedman says about pageantry, she says that the problems that, like the societal problems that we see in pageantry are oftentimes reflections of problems in society at the time. I think that Cleo de Saint Cassette exemplifies this idea that like, we won't let women in the public sphere be nuanced. We won't let them have like, problems and be admired at the same time like if you compare the way that women in pageantry are discussed to the way that like male athletes are discussed like how is it that nfl players can you know have like legitimate domestic abuse cases against them and continue to have admirers and fans and to like participate in their league whereas if like a woman in pageantry is like a size six, it's controversial, and her shot at a crown, like a national level crown, is very slim. Like we expect perfection, a very problematized perfection out of women who are competing in pageants, out of like women celebrities. I think we need to just like create room for women to be imperfect in any industry. One key example of this in real life, I think, is Vanessa Williams, the first Black Miss America. Um, I actually recently finished her memoir as well. It was co-written by her and her mother. It's called You Have No Idea. So Vanessa Williams won Miss America in, I believe, 1984. Her win was very controversial for a couple of reasons. Obviously, people who had a problem with a Black woman winning were very vocal about it and even just in mainstream media like she talks about listening to jokes about herself on like late night talk shows which i understand it's the 80s but you know like it's still it's not that long ago when you think about the big picture her family would get like hate mail death threats via like mail and phone call and she didn't just get um criticism on that side. She also got criticism from the black community because people thought that she wasn't um, visibly like black enough. Honestly, that's very evocative of, of what my friend in the Miss Teen USA that I can, uh, Kaylee Garris has said. Like I know Kaylee got criticism on both sides exactly like that. So it's interesting how it can happen in 1984 and then again can happen in 2019. So her reign was very controversial to begin with and then she towards the end was um, given an ultimatum where she had to give up her crown because Penthouse leaked nude photos of her without her consent. And I think everyone knows that part of the story, but um, reading the memoir, I think it gave it so much more context because 
There were two different situations where nude photos of her were taken. Both happened uh, one summer when she was literally 19 years old. And in both situations, it's middle-aged men who one like befriends her, she's working for him, he serves her alcohol as a minor, tells her it's gonna be like high class and tasteful, and then coerce, like, coerces her into taking these nude photos. The second situation, it's a photographer who has told her like he's gonna get her bookings and he's gonna get her into this European market and he like talks her into putting on more risque clothing and she says she's uncomfortable, she walks out, her and her boyfriend at the time go back to get the photos and the photographer says he gave her all of the photos when he did not. And she's 19 and these are like literal middle-aged men. So I think that that provides more context as to the scandal that had her stripped of her crown. The response that I've read about and seen headlines about, there was no room for nuance in the way that that was discussed. They just called her Vanessa the Andressa and called her a whore and said that she disgraced her race or disgraced the crown and i think that goes back to this point of like we don't allow nuance for female celebrities especially in an industry where perfection is like the norm and perfection is what's expected from them we don't allow room for women to um not just like make mistakes but behave in ways that that industry or we as a society have deemed unpalatable. I think I had a really hard time because I always conceived of that status as like something I wasn't living up to. Um, I always thought that I wasn't skinny enough for what a Miss Teen USA should look like. I always thought that I wasn't outgoing enough. Um, I thought that my hair wasn't straight enough. I strained it all the time and then I burned it off so I thought it wasn't long enough either. <laughs> And um, I feel like I'm at a really good place five years later where I can look back with, you know, empathy for everyone. Like I never, I'll never look at one person and be like, you're the reason why I felt this way. Because I, I don't think that's true. I think we are reflecting these like, again, like Professor Friedman said, I think we're reflecting these societal constraints that we've allowed to be like put on one another. And it's just this like overarching theme of patriarchy. And it's really scary to be the first person that steps up and says, oh, like, why are we doing this? <laughs> it's really terrifying. But I think that that's how things change, you know? I think it's really exciting to see kind of those doors opening for women who are married and women who have children. And I think it should go beyond that. Like, I personally would love to see a fat woman win because we as a society have internalized fat phobia so, so deeply that it's something that people like just can't imagine. And like, I think it's due time. I think it should have happened years ago. Like, I don't understand why it hasn't happened yet. And um, I think those are the types of statements that we really need to be like speaking out into existence so that we can see it happen and so people can see themselves reflected in this person that's supposed to be an idealized version of like the women in that country or that society. Yeah, so one quote from Vanessa Williams' memoir that I thought was really shocking to me personally is just, 
like a pageant fan um is the following she says looking back would i do the pageant all over again i know i'm supposed to say yes because it made me who i am today but i don't always do or say what i'm supposed to do or say and the truth is i wouldn't do it again but in this life you don't get do-overs for years and years i'd walk into an audition or meeting and i could feel the judgment they thought i was a beauty queen devoid of talent and intellect actually not only a beauty queen i was a scandalous miss america i was vanessa the andressa but i silently thought you have no idea who i am and what i can do one day the dust will settle and you'll see what i am made of you'll accept me for who i really am it was really shocking to hear her say that she potentially wouldn't do miss america if she could go back in time and i think that made me think a lot about my own answer to that question like if i could go back in time when i compete in pageants and my answer my answer is immediately yes and like surface level like yeah i had fun i enjoyed it i felt really beautiful but even though that year was emotionally like one of the most demanding years of my life for multiple reasons like not just that as i've already discussed i think it took me like receiving so many opinions about me at once to really put me on a journey to understand like that i had to like myself first and i had to be comfortable with who i was and i had to be willing to spend time with myself and to nurture myself and to like really get in touch with who I feel like I innately am and who I want to be. Because when I won Miss Teen USA, I thought Miss Teen USA was skinny and tall and bubbly and on all the time and like like fun and relatable and quirky and like yeah, da, 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 you know, like America's perfect teenager fantasy nymphat dream. Like that's what I thought that Miss Teen USA was supposed to be and I felt like that wasn't me and that's why I had such a hard time but I feel like my year put me on this journey to discovering and what I've discovered is that I'm very compassionate I care a lot and sometimes that gets my feelings hurt I am a really calm person. I don't think I'd ever describe myself as bubbly because I think I'm calm and I think that there's a beautiful energy to that just as well as the flip side. And I'm very thoughtful to a fault. <laughs> I am an overthinker. And I, I've said before, I feel like I live a lot of my life inside of my head, which I feel like in the past I've thought of that as a bad thing, like almost as an anxiety inducing thing, but I don't think it's bad because, you know, like some of the people that I admire most, like some of the authors that I look up to, they had entire worlds inside of their heads and that's how they were able to make such beautiful art. And I honestly like, I don't know how long it would have taken me to discover those things about myself if I didn't have like so much conflicting messaging about who I was supposed to be at 17. Um, circling back so we have a neat ending. <laughs> I think that for Vanessa Williams, she's a 
very like commanding presence. I think she was always really sure in who she was supposed to be. I think maybe that's why if she could go back, she wouldn't do it. But I think like I really relate to Cleo and Cleo to sink a set because you know, all of the people in her life reflect back this image that's larger than life. They reflect back this singing superstar until she meets the one man who doesn't know who she is. And he reflects back, he doesn't reflect back anything. He just lets her be who she is and he sympathizes with her and he asks her for her real name because Cleo isn't even her real name. and. He lets her be exactly who she is. And I think that that's something we have to get comfortable doing with women in the public sphere. It's letting them be nuanced, letting them be like human, and letting them be who they are. Yeah. And as I go into my 22nd year, I want to go in with empathy and patience and kindness and those things for myself because how I talk to myself in the past I think hasn't always been the healthiest and I want to get to a place in my 22nd year where I am the soldier to my own Cleo like I am the person letting myself just be myself and respecting that and appreciating that and being comfortable in that Okay, Hot Literati, I know this episode was a bit different than usual. Um, I wanted to just do some more personal reflection for my birthday with, you know, art and literature that's really got me thinking lately. So please let me know what you think. And I'm curious if you all have ever felt like you've been in a situation where you were trying to adhere to an archetype that you thought you had to fit into. Please let me know. Um, my DMs are always open. And yeah, I appreciate you all. Thank you for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.